a Polar Voices perspective with the Ecosystem Dynamics Research Lab Spring Shoveling Team. Elizabeth Webb explains. I'm Elizabeth Webb. I'm a graduate student at the University of Florida, and but my work is in Healy, Alaska, and I spend actually at this point I've spent more time in Alaska than I have in Florida. So. Right around the solstice, it's really dark and there are very few hours of sunlight. In fact, we, sometimes we don't even see the sun because it's hidden behind the mountains. And so, so that makes it, the light really dull, but that the um, land is completely covered by snow and everywhere we travel everywhere by snow machine. And so that's right around the solstice in December. But in the spring then, or what we would consider the spring in the lower 48, which is still winter in Alaska, um, in March, it's lots of sunlight and, and the sun really reflects off of, the, off of the snow. So you have to be careful and actually wear special sunglasses called glacier goggles to make sure that you don't go snow blind. In fact, people of our team have gone snow blind from the radiating sun off of the snow. Snow blindness, I'm not exactly sure on the science, but um, it damages it damages your eyes for a little bit, and it, it can potentially ha be, have long-term damages. Um, in the short term, if, if you catch it right away, basically it's just really painful, and anytime you see bright light, it's, it's excruciatingly painful. We actually have this old snow machine that liked to get stuck all of the time, and so it just no matter where you went, I don't know, once a week or whatever, it would get stuck in the snow, and then we'd have to spend an hour digging it out and that was no fun but now we have a new snow machine which is a lot easier to maneuver and um, and so we don't get it stuck at all and we've got a box that goes on the back of it that fits most of our equipment but then um, in the late winter when we have more people around we have a sled that attaches to the back of it and um, we can pull people in the sled or pull equipment that we need. The research that we're looking at at the field site is how much carbon is coming in and out of the tundra on an annual basis. So during the summer, we have a lot of measurements. We have these chambers that open and close every five minutes trying to measure this carbon. So we've got tens of thousands of measurements of what's happening during the summer. And so what we see is that during the summer, the plants are a lot happier because it's warm. And so the plants are taking in a lot more carbon than is being released. But during the winter in Alaska of course that's seven months out of the year so it's a really significant portion of the year so the microbes are still eating organic matter in the soils and so they are still releasing carbon back to the atmosphere so we're trying to measure that and as you can imagine it's a lot harder to do work in the in the winter than it is during the summer but what we're finding is that this the carbon lost over this long winter period is sort of is making up for the amount that the, the plants are taking in during the growing season and sort of shifting it so now more carbon is being released on an annual basis. Most people who do research in the Arctic do it mostly in the summer um, for reasons I'm sure that you can guess yourself. Um, and there have been studies of what happens during the winter, but most of those studies are just, they just don't have a lot of data. You know, they'll go out five times and maybe have a total of 30 measurements or something like that. And that's, that's just a very few number of measurements to generalize to the whole, to whole season. And to be fair, there are some studies that have been more in-depth than that, but so far ours is really in-depth and really trying to get a handle on what's what's being released. So I've got about 
800 measurements with one kind of method that I'm using and then more like 250 with another method that I'm using and then this other method we've got a couple thousand measurements. So we're just trying to up the amount of measurements we have so we can get a handle on what's going on. Webb continues from a cabin near Healy, Alaska, along with postdoctoral research associate Marguerite Moritz, former field technician John Kropek, and Bonanza Creek long-term ecological research station site manager Jamie Hollingsworth out of the University of Alaska Fairbanks. This is my fourth, like, beginning of the field season. So I bet I'm the one, I guess, in the lab who's been involved the longest, and I've spent two and a half full, yeah, two and a half full summers. And so I just know how the equipment is. But Marguerite's going to be running the running the site. So she was here last September, September, and so she learned a bunch from John, who is our field tech and now also knows all the stuff as well. So we're just kind of handing off the reins. Everyone in our lab works on permafrost carbon. Our advisor, his name's Ted. Ted famously said at lab meeting once, he was like, in our lab, you can work on anything you want. Pause. As long as it's related to permafrost carbon. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, the way that it works in academia is that people will get involved or excited about a place or a specialty well before they're offered a full-time job. Or, or like a professorship. And so often people carve out a niche as either a PhD student or as a postdoc. So both our advisor and his wife carved out their niche. They both wanted to work in the Arctic as postdocs. And then they, of course, if you're trying to look for a job where you need two positions because both he and his wife needed full-time positions. And then they've continued to write their, their grants to fund them to be able to do the work up here. So that's how they're able to keep coming up to Alaska, even though they're based out of Florida. Yeah, so I'm the site manager for the Bonanza Creek Long-Term Ecological Research Program that's based out of the University of Alaska Fairbanks. So part of that is providing logistics and logistical support for many of the affiliated scientists with the LTER of which Ted is one of the affiliate researchers. You know, we're really interior of Alaska based. So uh, there's folks that have stuff in Delta Junction. There's these guys down here, a various myriad of stuff north of the Yukon River, Taylor Highway. I would just say road, mostly road accessible or river accessible locations throughout interior. The guy's name that initially did the borehole is Tom Osterkamp, and he works for, worked for Krell, Cold Regions, the Army, um, <laughs> Krell Lab, and he's done boreholes all over the state. Um, there's actually one in the bottom of Bonanza Creek, up below the bluff, there's one here, they're scattered all over the place, where he's been able to monitor permafrost temperature at depths. That's why Ted chose this site, because he wanted to, to measure it there. And then our lab has been working here since 2004. And when they first started out, like we didn't have a cabin, so they were actually just camping out. And they started out working at a natural thaw gradient. So right now we have a, an experiment, but before they were just observing what is happening on the landscape. So they have an area that they've termed minimally thawed, meaning that 
they don't really see much evidence of permafrost thaw, moderately thawed, and then extensively thawed. And they monitored those three different groups. And yeah, so that's been ongoing since 2004. And then our, our site was started in 2000, the winter of 2008, 2009. We have some really deep measurements, but most of our measurements are uh, 5, 10, 20, and 40 centimeters depth. And in the wintertime, the surface soil, the 5 and the 10 centimeters get really cold. They're like minus 10, minus 15. Um, but the deep, the 40 centimeters, and especially the 40 centimeters, it's like minus two minus four on average over the winter so it doesn't actually get that cold once you get to depth Um, and that I think is probably where a lot of the microbes are active and the surface layer is more prohibitive of microbial activity. For a while people thought they you know they were measuring carbon dioxide released in the winter and they thought oh well it's definitely not biological they thought like maybe there were cracks in the soil that just soil pores were full of carbon dioxide and were just being released but then they did a couple of studies that were conclusive no it's definitely biological it's definitely those microbes which is pretty cool we're trying to figure out how the carbon balance between the plants and the soil will change with climate change but we want to know it before it happens like we want to know what's going to happen before it happens so we're trying to warm the tundra to figure that out and in order to do that we put these snow fences up and the snow fences are perpendicular to the wind direction it hits the snow fence and then it slows down and deposits preferentially on the north side on the leeward side of the fence so we get this huge buildup of snow and it's a little counterintuitive because people usually think more snow means colder well people who aren't alaskans but um actually the the larger snow layer insulates the soil from the really cold air temperatures so it actually makes them warmer kind of like an igloo is warmer than being outside and so so that's how we're warming the tundra the thing is if we left if we just left it to melt then two things would happen one um, the plants would not see the sun for a lot longer so that would be really impacting our study and we're not we're not interested in what happens when plants get a spring that's three what three weeks later we want to know what happens when they're warmer and and the second thing that might happen is you just get all this water that's added because you've added all this snow and so when it melts you're just it would just be all this water and we don't want to do a water addition experiment so we have to remove all of the snow in the late winter so that's what we're doing this week is shoveling off the snow one of the fun things about these guys is because we've been helping them for so many years, we've, we were able to convince them that we think the best way to get the snow off the plot is not to have a whole crew down here shoveling, but to have some kind of uh, equipment to remove the snow from the plot. So last year, we were able to purchase a self-powered snowblower and an ATV and a set of tracks to go on that ATV, and this year we've been utilizing it down here to do that. So... Uh, last spring we purchased uh, a new Honda um, Honda ATV and then we also were able to spec out a Canadian company that makes snowblowers that are gas powered <laughs> that mount on the front of things from pickup trucks to <laughs> yeah um, 
all kinds of tractors and stuff. So we were able to, they made one specifically that would mount onto an ATV frame and we did that. We brought it out last year for a day and seemed like it made it into the site through very deep snow and we tooled around and it worked great. So now we're putting it to the test this, this week. And uh, I've already come up with a whole list of modifications to make it better. <laughs> uh, just chatting with various people, it seemed like snow blowing would get the, would be the least impact and get the snow the furthest off the site. I'd say like one key thing that Jamie provides, and maybe I'm speaking for myself, but with a lot of the crew coming from Florida, like we're not that experienced in interior Alaskan things like how to use a snow machine. And like, you know, we all know the basics, but um, we don't know about the maintenance um, or about a lot of the equipment up here as well as somebody like Jamie does. So like he's totally invaluable for that. Yeah, he takes care of our snow machine, that's for sure. <laughs> this has been a Polar Voices Perspective with the Ecosystem Dynamics Research Lab Spring Shoveling Team, formerly out of the University of Florida and now based at Northern Arizona University. You heard from former graduate student Elizabeth Webb, postdoctoral research associate Marguerite Moritz, former field tech John Kropik, and Bonanza Creek long-term ecological research station manager Jamie Hollingsworth. Field technician Justin Ledman and LTER's Lorian Nettleton were also on the team. You can find full episodes of Polar Voices and other featured perspectives at polarhub.org. Polar Voices is produced by the UI Museum of the North in collaboration with the Arctic Institute of North America as part of the Polar Learning and Responding Climate Change Education Partnership.